apparent protest over pornographic books in the school libraries makes it into the governor's debate. Meanwhile, the gambling industry is blitzing our highways with billboards trying to convince us a casino is going to help the South Side. But is any of this going to help our families? Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, just for fun, Victoria, let's start off today's segment with a quick round on the most common words we heard repeated in the governor's debate. Now, this could be a fun game. We don't do drinking games at this organization, but I would like to maybe use dark chocolate, like little pieces of dark chocolate next time there's a debate like this and every time we hear the word. <laughs> so kind of thinking like that, what are some words you felt like where I could win all the dark chocolate? Well, liar. Of course, every debate, the opponent's going to say, this guy's lying. He's not telling the truth. You know, and we had the usual sampling of that for sure. Absolutely. Um, it does remind me of that little clip in The Elf, which I've watched way too many times, where, where he says, You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> yes, Remember that's that a great part? movie. Um, there was also right wing that was being repeated over and over. Um, I think McAuliffe was enjoying bringing up what was said on right wing radio. Now, I'm just kind of wondering if we fit into that category. I would say we probably do, but I thought the funniest part was that we knew, and obviously Yunkin's team knew, that McAuliffe was going to try to pit him with Trump as much as he could and keep saying Trump, Trump, Trump. And so Yunkin actually made this cute joke about how there's an over-under in Vegas over how many times he's going to use the word Trump. And so then he got to 10, and then later on in the debate, you just kind of hear him say 11. You know, like it's just sort of, so I thought that was a great way to, a funny way to handle the fact that we know what words are going to come out during a debate. Exactly. Now, I do have to bring up brick wall. I thought it was so humorous that McAuliffe, again, I think this is the second time he said this in a debate, called himself the brick wall to women's reproductive rights. And for those in our audience that don't kind of have the backstory on this, the reason I find that so entertaining is because several years ago, McAuliffe had actually said, I'm the brick wall to women's reproductive rights or something along that, uh, along that path. And then he said, but Victoria Cobb is like the sledgehammer <laughs> to that brick wall. I and love it. So you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I always say, you know, of course, he's just thinking of me sort of iconically as representing all these other people that are part of pushing back on this. But it is great. I mean, I, I don't know why he uses that analogy. I always think it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, a wall is not exactly like the image of leadership that people are yeah. looking for. Yeah, because I'd much rather be the proactive sledgehammer than this brick wall where you just kind of feel like it's stuck there. And I was saying to you, it kind of to me, it kind of brings up images of like the Berlin Wall and all these people taking the sledgehammer of freedom. So he's definitely on the wrong side of that whole analogy in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you I don't think you want to compare yourself to a wall, but he seems to I mean, he did it while he was governor. He's been doing it he ever since. It. I, I guess it's his thing. But I, I mean, admittedly, sometimes things get in your head. But I thought that another thing that just has to be mentioned is he just kept routinely saying that Yunkin didn't know what he was doing. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he tried to make that a theme and he just repeated, repeated, except that sometimes he said it when he was giving the wrong facts. So that was kind of entertaining. The, the most obvious of that for me was he basically says that Yunkin, Yunkin doesn't know what he's doing. And then he quotes the minimum wage at 725. Well, guess what? That has actually moved up since he was governor. It's actually now over $9 an hour. And so it's embarrassing to call the other guy 
saying he doesn't know what he's doing and then go ahead and get your facts wrong. You got to get it right if you're going to do that. Yeah, there could definitely be an over and under on you don't know what you're talking about because they both said that a lot. Yeah. Well, let's dive right into our topic for today. First off, I just want to warn any parents with little ones in the room that we are going to be alluding to some very disturbing topics, sadly, that relate to what's in our kids' public school libraries. But I just want to let parents be aware that we're going to get a little bit into that. Um, So if you have any little ones around, you might want to quickly get them out of the room. If you're driving in a car, there is our new podcast that you can subscribe to and listen to when they're not around. So just wanted you to be aware of that. So, Victoria, just when we thought these school board battles were winding down a bit, I was actually glad to see that parents are not waving the white surrender flag quite yet. A few days ago, we saw this super brave mom in Fairfax, Virginia, Stacey Linkton. She appeared before her school board and basically exposed the fact that the district has some extremely disturbing sexually graphic books in her child's library that she found. And I think she actually went in there and checked them out and looked at them. Yeah. I I mean, let's be clear. These aren't even just graphic. I mean, I remember there were battles over Beloved and some of the other, you know, kind of famous books that there have been book battles over. These have detailed descriptions of things like pedophilia. I mean, as the mom explained, one book had a description of a fourth grade boy engaging with an adult man. And that's about as explicit as I'm going to get on this particular show. So um, another book actually had detailed illustrations of interaction between a boy and a man. That's a problem for pretty much every parent. And mind you, this isn't stuff that's on the dark web hidden. These are books that teens can walk right into the Fairfax Public School libraries and access quickly. Let's just listen to a little bit of what this mom said. These books are in stock and available in the libraries of Robinson, for high school Langley, students, ma'am. and Annandale High School. Pornography is offensive um, to Clark. all people. It is offensive to common decency. It is the reason why the MPAA... Yeah, apparently we hear her mic being cut off there. And what's so ironic is, I guess her comments were too graphic to be spoken at a public school board meeting. You know, she's reading this out of the books that are in the school library. So I guess the content that's inappropriate for the school board meeting is okay for our school libraries. Yeah, I mean, they could stop the mic, but they couldn't stop her comments from going viral all across the state. And in fact, it became a key topic in the latest governor debate because uh, Glenn Youngkin actually reminded the audience that his opponent, Terry McAuliffe, who is a former governor, had repeatedly vetoed a bill that we at the Family Foundation had actually pushed that would have allowed parents to be informed about this kind of thing. And what's crazy is there was all sorts of mischaracterization about this bill by Terry McAuliffe. Yeah, and his defense when Glenn Youngkin brought that up was basically, look, parents shouldn't be that involved in all this stuff. So let's just listen in on that debate moment. What we've seen over the course of the last 20 months is our school systems refusing to engage with parents. In fact, in Fairfax County this past week, We watched parents so upset because there was such sexually explicit material in the library they had never seen. It was shocking. And in fact, you vetoed the bill that would have informed parents that they were there. You believe school systems should tell children what to do. I believe parents should be in charge of their kids' education. Mr. McCall, 30 seconds. So first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here. helping Virginia, but it was not. The parents had to write 
to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decisions. You vetoed it. So, to yeah, I parents, you stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Yeah, what's crazy is the context of this bill. You know, you had you had Youngkin saying you, you've got to you, you veto this bill. You had the governor saying, oh, but it was about book banning, which it actually wasn't about book banning. But the bottom line is what's so, so disturbing is you see this kind of attitude where he says he doesn't think parents should be able to tell school boards what's in their what's in their what's in their curriculum, what's what they're doing. And so you've got parents' rights to protect their kids' innocence at play with government officials. That's a problem. Yeah, and I think he, he was saying, I thought I heard him saying, oh, well, that, that was about parents being able to veto stuff. And it's like, no, it was about them being notified, right, if, if this was coming up. Yeah, but, they were just supposed to be told, and yeah. then there needed to be a, an alternative book if you said, no, my kid's not ready for this. That's all it was. Yeah. Pretty actually benign in the scheme of things. Yeah, and so I think it's interesting that he's saying, well, wait a minute, you know, parents shouldn't be able to to have involvement in what's taught in school. And so I did think that was one of those moments where someone spoke out loud what was supposed to be quiet in the liberal circles. Yeah, and even better, the Washington Post Post actually fact-checked him on the next day that he had his own bill wrong that he vetoed. And they actually noted what he said, interestingly enough, when he vetoed the bill. He just said, you know, it's good for there to be communication, but it's too hard to implement. So we now know what he really thought thought at the time yeah. was that parents don't have a right to be driving the education of their child. Yeah, he said that out loud. Um, and then we also had, piling onto this whole moment, the U.S. Secretary of Education during a testimony, Miguel Cardona, also saying he just couldn't acknowledge that parents should be a primary stakeholder. He was asked, do you think parents should be a primary stakeholder? He just couldn't get the word primary out. He's like, well, they're important. Well, it made me really glad that we actually put that in our Virginia law, that parents have a fundamental right to drive their child's education. Because when you've got a U.S. Secretary of Education saying that, you better have some protections because who knows what's coming down the pike. That is a really good point, Victoria. And I just think the fact that you have both of these uh, public officials acknowledging that they think parents should be kind of put on the sidelines, uh, I think you are seeing that exact attitude now spoken out loud in these school boards across the states. And that's exactly why you see this parent uprising, because that's the attitude that they're running into over and over. And I would love for us to keep coming alongside those parents and keep that what I'm calling parent rebellion going. Yeah, exactly. And we have actually put a few tools on our website that'll help make this go to the next level for school boards because you've got these school boards like Loudoun and Fairfax where it's so easy for them to ignore parents. So what we've done is we're actually saying it's time to hold these schools accountable. And we're going to do that by compiling reports on these incidences that parents or even teachers and students are experiencing and document them. So basically, we have this school incident report form that parents can download and they can then let us know what's going on and we can help build the momentum around the efforts to go up against school boards. Yeah, so let's keep empowering parents. Let's spread this school incident report form around far and wide all over Virginia. And you can access that at familyfoundation.org slash protect every kid. That's familyfoundation.org slash protect every kid. And you'll see the buttons to click on for that incident report. Well, before we get into the next topic here, you know, I just got to say, when I heard what that mom read that she found in her child's library, and also I went and looked at it, I mean, it was just so filthy. I actually felt like, seriously, that I needed to pray for God to wash my mind 
and cleanse my spirit after hearing and reading that. And yet, you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm saying this prayer to cleanse my mind. I'm thinking, but this is what's being glorified in our kids' schools, in the libraries. I, I think a lot of this stuff actually glorifies, you know, things like pedophilia. Um, but the encouraging thing in that very sobering thought is that this mom actually had an impact on this school district, right? This is the best part. I mean, Fairfax District is sort of like historically known to be very difficult to actually get them to do the right thing. And she had success because they actually did suspend these books from the library while a review committee examines them for, for further review. So at least we've got a review going on. So we got to keep up the pressure. Yeah, people got to understand this is one of the most well-funded school districts in the entire nation. So she made them blink. Yeah, so we got to keep that going. I need to make sure we just hit on the gambling thing today. And that was spurred by the fact that we are seeing these huge casino signs literally blitzing our highways. I say blitzing because there are sections of our highways here in Virginia where they are literally like one after the other. I feel like I drive a few miles and there's like six in a row. It's crazy. Well, yeah. And this is the thing. This is how it always goes. So the reason you're seeing those is because they passed legislation that unfortunately allows casinos to come in and they, you know, they just did it under the pressure of the, you know, the gambling cartel comes in and then they pressure the politicians. So bottom line is what's happening is the city of Richmond can vote whether or not they want this casino. So then the casino people come in with all this money and advertising and they just it's really obnoxious. Um, and it and it is very hard to help people get the right messages about gambling. Yeah, I kind of wonder how that plays out for them, because I guess, you know, maybe the frequency and all the signs um, helps, but maybe it also makes people think, wow, they sure have a lot of money to throw away. Well, where <laughs> do you think that money comes from? I hope people think, why do they have all this money to do all this advertising? Oh, because it comes out of the pockets of people who are addicted. And, you know, they, they do all this stuff with tourism to make it sound like this is going to be this big draw and it's going to economically improve your area. But the reality is they make 60 to 80 percent of their profit off of slot machines. And those are played by local people who struggle with gambling addiction. So we can't be fooled by where that money comes from. That is an excellent point, because I saw stats that the majority of casino revenue actually comes from problem gamblers. So when you think about that, you are actually setting up a situation where we are profiting by cannibalizing on the most vulnerable people in our city. Um, That's a problem. Well, yeah, and if they if they take their money and they play the casino, they're not shopping at local businesses. They're not feeding their family. They're not. I mean, if you really think about what addiction does and the spiraling effect on the whole, not just their family, but the whole community when someone gets addicted and they literally go belly up, that is the problem. It is a form of human exploitation. And what do you think people can do about it, Victoria, if they're concerned about this hurting families in our beloved city of Richmond. Well, obviously, I want the people in the city of Richmond to vote against it. So we're doing everything we can. And we have a site, Bad Bet Virginia. um, And our goal is to educate people on this. And we're putting up our own signs and all that stuff. But I do think we really need to just guard, educate our kids, guard our hearts against this lure of getting rich. You know, the idol that you're seeking when you get into gambling is this idea that, you know, you're going to somehow in some not in a way that you haven't earned it. You're going to basically get rich. And we've got to just help folks understand where our hearts need to be so we never get drawn into this stuff and our families don't either. Yeah, the biblical idea of stewardship, um, persistence and not a quick throw in. Yeah, uh, Building exactly. up over the long term. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award, where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! So we talked a lot today about pornographic content in kids' libraries that don't even have warning labels. But guess what does have a trigger warning now? In case you missed this story because it did largely fly under the mainstream media's radar, we now have warning labels for our national founding documents. That's right. If you go to the National Archives online catalog and you just simply try to pull up the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, or the uh, sorry, the Declaration of Independence, if you try any of those, or any more, there's other important historic records, you're going to see this banner at the top of the page that says, quote, harmful language alert. I love that. I mean, I don't love it, but harmful language alert. We are just getting to new levels of ridiculousness. Now, mind you, this is the government entity charged with protecting and preserving our most important founding documents, making them accessible to the public. And they run that beautiful museum that many of us have visited in D.C. It has that rotunda displaying many of these documents, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And that's why I find this really sad. Because now it's gotten to this extremity to the point where we're being told that even our most sacred founding documents that we treasure, instead of being something we can all celebrate together, this is something apparently that's harmful that we're supposed to be ashamed of. Yeah. And I mean, the way this all came down, it looks like it all started when a National Archives task force actually recommended that warning labels be used in the rotunda area where the Constitution and other revered documents are on display. And so it kind of looks like now we've got this digital warning is probably, unfortunately, a step to this other, actually having a warning in the rotunda. Well, let's talk for a minute about exactly how the National Archives is defining so-called harmful, you know, what makes a harmful language alert. And I have to warn everyone, this is just painful on many levels, not to mention it's just so Orwellian to start with, but it's also incredibly just awkward and burdensome with language. So according to the archive statement, Harmful language could be anything that may, quote, reflect racist, sexist, ableist, misogynistic. And I'm not even going to try to read through that whole list of stuff. It is long. And basically, it's anything that can be, you know, construed as discriminatory toward things like sexuality, gender, different religions, and so on. Wow, that is um, quite a long list. I think it's actually longer than maybe if you put the Bill of Rights and the Constitution together at this point. And the Declaration of Independence, probably longer than all of them. But that's not all. This trigger warning also uh, says that it's for, quote, graphic content of historical events such as violent death, medical procedures, crime wars, terrorist acts, natural disasters, and more, and could demonstrate bias and exclusion in institutional collecting and digitizing policies. Wow. (laughs) You know, actually, Candy, what I think that actually reminds me of is maybe they're actually going to make note that people actually died for these freedoms in a war. You know what? I kind of want my kids taught that. No, Victoria, they could be triggered by death. Yeah, I hope they're triggered and they hang on to their freedoms. I mean, in all seriousness, it's like we can't even learn about basic history at this point. We have to sanitize it so much. But thankfully, Senator Langford and others spoke out. Um, Senator Langford made this really eloquent point uh, that, quote, while our nation undoubtedly has stains on its history, we have from our founding created the most free and diverse society on earth. Yeah, well, I'm just incredibly thankful there are people like him who aren't going to allow this to be buried and spoke up. But my question is, are they going to try to 
make history, quote, safe and sanitized from now on? I mean, what how can we talk about what really happened in the Civil War or or even worse, the, the Holocaust, if we have to protect you from the truth? That is really Orwellian. Yeah, you, you do end up having to kind of cancel history at that point. So I don't they just can't go this far. Uh, but anyway, that's why this week's Inconceivable Award has to go to the National Archives for slapping trigger warnings on the website housing our most treasured historical records. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.